Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to discuss the Illinois Fighting Alane as Michigan State heads into Champaign on Friday night. Uh, before we start, I just want to say a couple things. First, the t-shirts are in the mail. In fact, I actually just got mine today, and they are awesome. They are great. I can't wait to wear mine to the game and you know, around town. Again, if you get your t-shirts and have an opportunity, take a picture wherever you are, You know, maybe some historic land, you know, landmark where you are or some cool vacation spot, and we'd love to post them and you know, show them off to other Spartan fans. Uh, we're pretty excited about those shirts. And if you... F- think, oh man, I missed my chance. We will be offering the ter- shirts again at some point. Not sure when at this point, but it'll be, I don't know, a month or so or something like that. So stay tuned. So, some point, some point during the season, um, I just need to need to get my batteries <laughs> recharged, open the mail room again. <laughs> it, when he, <laughs> it is, it is a process. I yeah, assure it, you. It's the grind. It's a, it's a mid season grind here for the, for us at the Tiff Nuts. Uh, and, you know, if you want to support the show in other ways, you can certainly go to our support site, which is tffinots.com slash support. You can do uh, monthly or recurring or recurring or uh, one-time uh, support for the show. Uh, also, if you're interested in like advertising the show, we reach, you can reach thousands of Spartan fans through our show. We're more than happy to have a discussion with you. Just get a hold of me uh, at eric at tffinots.com. Maybe you want to send a birthday message for one show or something to someone, you know, anything like that. We're more than happy to incorporate that into the show. Also, if you're on Twitter, we're like, what, five followers short of a thousand. So if you want to help us get over that, that I, I happen to observe that <laughs> we today. sort of just hovering at 995, you know, bots come on, they come off. And so at Tiff Knots 68, be the, be the person to put yes, us over right. the top. Be that thousandth person or thousands and one. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. So if you rather watch us talk with a little waveforms, you can certainly do, go there and we do. We have an actual live video uh, of us interview with Jeremy Fears, and we'll have the same thing when we have uh, Garrick Norman on. In uh, whenever we publish that, it'll be probably in a week or so, sometime during a little, a slight lull in the regular season. All right, but let's get into the game we want to talk about, which is Illinois. Uh, the Illini are eleven and five this season, but only two and three in the league. They've won two straight Big Ten games, so they start out at one three. They beat Wisconsin by ten. At home, uh, that was with the first game where Tyler Wall was out completely, and then they just destroyed Nebraska the other night uh, by 26 on the road. Before that, in other news, freshman guard Sky Clark, who was I think originally at Kentucky, uh, left and joined Illinois, yep. and he has taken a leave of absence. But it sounds like it's very permanent as he's left Champaign. Uh, at at the best, you know, Illinois has looked really good. They beat 
Texas and UCLA. And yet they've been destroyed by Penn State at home, lost to Missouri by, I don't know, it seemed like 100 points. It was on a neutral floor. Their Ken Palm ranking is pretty good. They're number 26. Uh, they're number 42 in offense, number 23 on defense. And on offense, they shoot really well inside the arc. They're number 14th in the country. They're number 36 in offensive rebounding. And they get to the free throw line pretty well. They rank 130th in field, free throw attempts for field goal attempts. But they're a bad jump shooting team at 192nd in three-point percentage at only about 33%. They turn the ball over a ton. They're number 281. And they can't hit free throws. They shoot about 66%, which puts them at 302nd in the nation. Defensively, they're pretty good. They're number ninth against twos, number 12th against in block percentage, and number 48th in generating turnovers. They tend to foul at a decent rate, so it's not that great there. You can get to the line against them. Defensively rebounding, they're okay. They're 103rd, so they're you know top third. And so it's been a... a season that was been strange and you know in the show notes we'll have a link to if you want to listen to the preview of Illinois when we talked about them uh, before the season began uh, but I think one of the things you notice right away with Illinois is that it's almost an entirely new roster I, there's hardly anyone there from the year before outside of what Hawkins and so it's it's like a lot of teams in Big Ten you really didn't know what to expect and I think they have been as far as expectations they've They've probably overall underperformed, especially recently in the Big Ten start. I was on, we were talking about this before we started recording. I was on Jack Ebling's show this afternoon. One of the questions he asked me was, who's the most surprising and the most disappointing team in the Big Ten? And for most disappointing, I picked Indiana and Illinois in a tie. But I also said, I'm giving you that answer based on performances relative to what I think general expectations were because general expectations were those teams were going to be right at the top of the standings, right in the mix for the big 10 title. Personally, I'm not totally shocked by either team. And so specific to Illinois at the outset of the season, when we did the preview, we talked about, as you just mentioned, Eric, the, the massive turnover on the roster that you only had three guys essentially returning, which were Hawkins, uh, R.J. Melendez, who only played a little bit last season because he was hurt for part of the year, and then Luke Goody, who, as it turns out, has not yet played this season due to injury. So really, it is mostly Hawkins that's the returnee. That's a hard way to succeed, and I don't care where you're getting those guys from, high school ranks, transfers, whatever. That is a hard way to go about your business. You know, Calipari, at least up until this year, and Coach K mostly succeeded, even though they didn't win a ton of national titles, maybe not as many as people would have expected. Most years they were in the mix with teams that were constantly turning over. But that's Calipari and Krzyzewski. That's not Brad Underwood is not those guys. And I think it's been somewhat predictable in terms of how it's played out that they would have real inconsistencies with a group that just hadn't played together, didn't know each other, uh, no familiarity, and that that generally you can expect that to generate inconsistency and in performance. Uh, as a contrast, if you watched the MSU game against Wisconsin and in the post game interview, they had AJ Hogard and they asked him, you know, you guys were great down the stretch. You weren't missing shots. How do you find it 
in yourselves to do that on the road. And AJ's answer was a very good one. He said, we've got a lot of guys in our core who have been through it and been through it together. And they know now by this point, what it takes to win a game like that and how you lose a game like that. They know both ends of it. And Illinois, at least as a collective unit, doesn't know how to do that. I mean, Matthew Myers won a national championship when he was at Baylor. Terrence Shannon has been part of a good program at Texas Tech. It's not like those guys don't know what it takes to win, but they haven't done any of that as a unit, and that matters. So, look, um, they're a weird team. I mean, you went (laughs) through the stats, offensively especially. The things they do well, they do really well. They're great shooting the ball inside the arc, some of that is a result of having some guys that can play in the post. Hawkins is pretty good there. Danger is even better. I mean, he shoots like 72% from the floor. So their big men can finish. Their wings, especially Shannon, are also really good getting downhill and finishing inside the arc. But they don't shoot threes well at all. Um, They offensive rebound very, very well. But they turn the ball over a ton. They just hemorrhage turnovers. they get to the line at a good rate, but they don't hit them. <laughs> so, you know, inconsistency defensively, the picture is a little better. Um, and, and I think they're, I think they're a more capable defensive team, but, um, the one caveat to that, the one issue they've gotten, and something Underwood's been talking about is they've had a propensity to foul. And in a game against Michigan state, that's potentially a problem. Now, for Michigan State, they're going to need to take advantage of that. But, um, you know, we saw it in Madison uh, last night. We're recording this the day after MSU's win at Wisconsin. And if you put this Michigan State team at the line, they shoot it really well. And so that's the one issue defensively for Illinois. Other than that, they're pretty good. But offensively, it's chaos. And, you know, I think the other thing worth mentioning here, and we'll get back to this when we turn to the keys, is The other thing, just besides the total roster turnover that makes this inconsistency somewhat predictable, in my opinion, is they had that turnover at the guard spot specifically. You know, they had three freshmen at the start of the year playing big roles. They've now got two with Sky Clark's departure. But then in addition to him, you've got Shannon, who's a transfer, um, You know, Melendez, who was on the team last year, but didn't play a ton. So it's kind of a new role for him. Uh, That's a hard way to live in the Big Ten. And and in fact, if you look at how this team operates, they really don't play through their guards. The playmakers are Hawkins and Shannon. So a big man, either a four or five, depending upon who's on the floor, and, uh, and a wing. I mean, Shannon's nominally a guard, but he's six, seven. He's really like a power wing. Those are their playmakers. So they don't even really play through their guards because they're not point. And with Clark gone, they don't really have a natural point guard. So it's a weird deal all the way around there. That's, that's not to say they're without talent. They actually have a lot of talent, but does it fit together? Well, do they like each other? There have been questions about that. Now, they've won two games since Clark departed, but there have been questions for weeks about that locker room. And there's been a lot of smoke about 
things like NIL jealousies, you know, all these new age problems that we're not used to seeing, but you know, there, there has been talk that some of the returning players were not happy at the amount of money that new guys were getting. There was some jealousy around that. Um, there were supposedly issues around roles, around shots. You heard lots of things. Um, winning cures a lot of problems, but I think this is a big, big, big game for Illinois because you mentioned they've won two straight after losing their first three in the conference. And really on top of that, having a bad end to the non-conference when Missouri just mm -hmm. dusted them in a rivalry game on a neutral court. I mean, just ran them off the court. Um, I don't know that I believe that a home court win over Wisconsin without wall and a win at Lincoln over a Nebraska team that's better, but you know, I think we know enough to know they're not great. Um, I don't think that necessarily proves that you've solved your problems. I think if you beat Michigan state, you can start feeling like a turnaround might be real. So I think it's a huge prove it game for them. Um, and it's big for Michigan state too, because they want to keep pace at the top of the standings. You don't want to lose when you're on a seven game win streak, but I think it really matters to Illinois and we'll see how they respond to yeah, that. I think so too. And you know, when you were talking before the season that maintaining that culture and the ability to carry over, you know, how you play and to your point too, can you trust the guy you're, you're playing with, you know, to, to make the play or to make the pass or whatever it might be, uh, you know, that's the thing they have to deal with because, I mean, aside from Hawkins, I mean, Melendez has came back, but he's, he was a freshman last year with middle role. He's not really going to carry a culture or a way, you know, a way of playing or a way of, you know, following the rules, those sorts of things, you know, and to execute a system. So it is really, it is really new system. It, it is a, and with the NIL, it is a new world as far as trying to figure out all those things and a bunch of people coming from all over it. I, th I think we underestimate how the challenge is. You've mentioned many times, you know, the video game numbers and sort of as you plug in this person, they average so many points. You put them in a new team, they're going right. to average the same amount of points. Well, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, there's some places that people just play better than others. And I mean, you see it every sport. It's not like unique to basketball. There are guys who have managed to make it work. I mean, the, the now disgraced Chris Beard actually was really good at Texas Tech at taking transfers and molding them into a very coherent unit. But those guys are rarities. I mean, it's just like me citing Calipari and Krzyzewski. There are not a lot of guys who have done this and done it successfully. So it's a challenge. It, I have, I will admit to being uber skeptical of Illinois as a program. And don't take that to mean that I think they can't win this game. Mm -hmm. Of course they can. But and they can still be a tournament team. And, you know, I'm not saying any of those things are impossible, but I have never seen a program in the big 10 that has had more slogans, <laughs> more chest thumping to, and just have it be as empty as it is with this, with Brad Underwood's Illinois. I mean, Michigan state does this stuff too, right? Players play yeah. tough players win. Um, OKG, our kind of guy. That's just something that's something as does, but he's in the <laughs> hall of fame. It means something you act when he says those things, it, it's said actually after the fact, after they've established it, you know, 
players play, tough players win didn't gain a lot of currency until after Michigan State was going to Final Fours. You know, people knew it had meaning. Arc OKG, people knew what that meant immediately when they started using it because it had been something that had, had been in place for a long, long time anyway. It was just a way of articulating it. Illinois with this everyday guys and guard you, all this nonsense that I've heard come out of that program, it really makes me dislike them. And it really makes me skeptical about the, the fortitude and the psychological state and the mental toughness that exists in that program. And it's not just this year. I thought it last year. And I think Brad Underwood completely botched the way he handled Andre Curbelo. It ruined his team season, in my opinion. Um, I just, they, they've been able to, to accumulate a good deal of talent for the last three, four years. I give them that. They've won their share of games. I'll give them that. They are not right now, and I am skeptical of whether they will ever be truly a championship-level program with this guy running the show because everything I see from him screams fake to me. Fake tough guy, fake sloganeering, fake bravado, just fake. That's, that's my take. Well, and, and you know, as far as this game goes, it's obviously a big game for Illinois, but you know, you look at Michigan State in the run for the title. We're a quarter of the way through the Big Ten, and we're four and one. Which, you know, if you multiply that by four, sixteen and four, I think almost for sure is an outright win of the Big Ten. And so, you know, if can you maintain that pace? Yes. Obviously, the schedules change. It's going to be probably a little harder. You're not going to play. You know, you're not going to face Northwestern at home. You're not going to face Nebraska at home again. Uh, and and Michigan at home. So those are probably three easier wins. Of course, they only got two of those. Uh, you know, of course, could come a couple good road wins as well. But anyway, the point is, is you have to maintain this pace to try and to think you have any chance. And so Illinois is probably, you know, before the season started, you looked at this game, and you thought almost for sure this is going to be a loss. Now you're like, this is a possibility. This is something that is not out of, not of the, you know, you're not crazy to think that they could pull this one off. You say that, and I, I understand it historically, Champaign-Urbana really difficult building to try and win a game in no doubt about that circumstances are such that you like your chances with this team for a few reasons but first and foremost and we're going to get back to this when we get to the keys michigan state has a real advantage in experience and i think in terms of productivity, what they will be like on the court on Friday night in the backcourt. And if you have that, you can control a game. And so I give Michigan State a real opportunity. Now, it's a tough building to win in. I've got a feeling their crowd is going to be live because they certainly know the season sort of feels like it hangs in the balance. If you win this one, if you're Illinois, you're back to 500 in the league. You've got three straight under your belt and you start maybe feeling like some momentum right, is building right. to changing the direction of your season. Um, but, you know, I, I, I still I think Michigan State comes into this one. No reason in the world that they can't win this game and, and have a real shot. They're going to have to play well. 
You're going to have to withstand what the crowd brings, and it's a tough building to win in. All those things are true. But, you know, at this point, I think you have to feel reasonably confident if you're Michigan State that you're going to play well. Will that be enough? We'll see. All right. Well, let's go through the starting lineup for the Illini. Uh, we'll start with Sincere Harris, 6'4", freshman from LeBron's old high school, St. Vincent, St. Mary in Akron, Ohio. He's recently been put in the starting lineup, and he's averaging four points a game on 41, 33, and 23, <laughs> 23 <laughs> shooting. Uh, not a great assist guy for a point yeah. guard. He's a has a 14 to 10 assist to turnover ratio this year. But as you mentioned earlier, the offense does not run through the guards. And so, you know, the guard position here is almost as more for defense than it is offense in some ways. And look, I think he's shown to be a guy with real potential defensively as a freshman. And they like his long-term potential to be a good two-way guard. But um, he's not doing a lot at the offensive end right now. And he's a point guard by name only. I mean, they're not, they're not really running anything through him. It, as I mentioned, it all goes through Hawkins and, and Shannon. Um, you know, I think he's a guy they like his long term, but for right now, you know, let, let's put it this way. Whereas against Wisconsin, you felt like, yeah, I felt like, you can't really help off their shooters because, you know, the ball goes into the post. And if you're helping, you're over helping, you're digging too deep, you're not getting back shooters, you're running a real risk. Illinois is a different story, partially because they got guys like this on the arc. He's not incapable of hitting a shot, but he hasn't taken a lot and his shooting percentage is not great. So I think you're okay with making him prove it. Yeah. You know, but defensively, he's solid. Well, you just mentioned Terrence Shannon. He's a 6'7 junior transfer from Texas Tech, averaging 18.1 points a game on 47, 34, and 76 shooting, and also just barely under six rebounds a game. Second on the team with an assist with just over three a game, but also averaging 2.3 turnovers a game because that's just what Illinois is this season. At his best, he's a really good player. I mean, he's very tough to stop when he gets going toward the rim because he's six, 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 seven, but he's physical. He was originally a football recruit. Um, that was basketball kind of came late into the picture for him. He was considered a high level football recruit. And then he ended up going the basketball route, but you see the football player in him, um, where he goes from being good to great is when he's on a, he's in a night when He's just got it humming from the perimeter. He is, you know, 34% from three, which is mediocre, but uh, he is a true hot, cold guy. There have been games this year, uh, their win over UCLA in the second half being a big one, he could Mm -hmm. not miss. And there have been other times where he's just been awful. So you don't know what you're going to get. He's a guy who Michigan State's got to be cognizant of on the arc but you could have a night where he's just not hitting because he's had plenty of those. And that, that takes him down a level when he's on from three, then it's really tough because you got to really play up on him, And that's when the penetration game can hurt you. The other parts of it, you know, he's a fairly active rebounder. He's one of their two playmaking guys, but the turnover numbers are massive as well. 
he makes a lot of mistakes. So, you know, he giveth, he taketh <laughs> away in that respect. Next would be Matthew Mayer. <clears throat> he's 6'9", transfer from Baylor, you mentioned earlier. He's averaging 10 points a game on 42, 35, and 76 shooting, and also 4.6 rebounds a game. And he's the same sort of story as far as his jumper, which is there, and sometimes it's not there. A lot of people expected more from him, but Baylor expected more <laughs> from him last year. You know, he was really good as, uh, I guess it was a sophomore, um, when he was coming off the bench for their national championship team. Because he just came in, gave him a spark offensively, you know, tough matchup at 6'9", but he could play the wing some. Um, you know, so physically he, he brought some different elements to the table and then he moved into the starting lineup last year and his shooting went down, you know, his efficiency declined and that he ends up transferring, which I think surprised a lot of people. And I, I, I believe most people's thought was, okay, well, he's going to be a featured guy at Illinois and he'll bounce back. Well, we've kind of seen a continuation of what he was last year at Baylor. There are nights as with Shannon, there are nights when if the shots falling, man, look, it's entirely possible that both these guys come out and they are just ripping the net from three and you got a long mm -hmm. night, you know, that could happen, but we have not seen that happen with any degree of consistency. So he's not really, despite his size, you know, he can do some things inside the arc, but he's not really a great post-up player. Um, you know, his length is important defensively as it is for Shannon. I mean, that's the one thing that you look at this Illinois team and it strikes you is they're huge. Right. I mean, on the perimeter, they're six, four, six, seven, six, nine. So they pose pro and I think that shows up not as much offensively as it does defensively. That's a lot of length. Yeah, well, we and we always talk about how Michigan State generally is a pretty big team in the backcourt outside of Walker, but you know, Illinois makes them look tiny. <laughs> and and Michigan State can get by because you know Harris is certainly bigger than Walker, but he's not going to overwhelm Tyson, I don't think, and he's not a guy they want right. to play through anyway. So then you you might you might have um, at least starting out, you'd have. Hogard six four, um, possibly matching up with uh, um, some combination of Hogard and Aiken six four six four, matching up against six seven six nine. But MSU can also play the Malik Hall card at six eight, with either matched with either Hogard or or Aikens, and and then you're talking about a, a little better physical matchup. But MSU is going to be given up size. There's no question. But as I said, I think the way those guys play it it shows up to me more often on the defensive end where their length bothers you than, oh, those guys just taking you to the blocks and just abusing you down there. That's not really how they play. At least it hasn't. <laughs> you never know. Uh, next would be Col Coleman Hawkins, six, seven, uh, sorry, six eleven junior averaging 10.1 points a game. He's one of the returning players from last year's team. He's uh, averaging 45, 33 and 62 shooting. Uh, has pulls down 6.1 rebounds a game and leads the team with 57 assists. But like everyone else, lots of turnovers, 48 turnovers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think in some ways, I mean, Terrence Shannon is their best player. That's pretty obvious. But I do think in a lot of ways, Hawkins is their most important guy. When he's playing well, he's a really tough matchup because 
at his best, he impacts the game in every way. You know, he can make plays for others. He can hit threes. He's big enough that he can do some damage around the rim. He can give you a little bit of rim protection. Um, so he does a lot of different things, but Illinois fans seem very frustrated with him this year because again, no surprise, there hasn't been a lot of consistency yeah. in how he's played. You know, as I say, they will operate their offense often playing through him at the high post. So it's going to look a little unconventional, um, but it's the best option Brad Underwood has at this point. Um, again, at his best Coleman Hawkins, really tough matchup, but which Coleman Hawkins are you getting? Finally, Dane Danger, six to nine, 270 pound sophomore from Baylor averaging 9.8 points a game and 5.8 rebounds a game. Yeah, he hasn't played a whole lot. He averages a little over uh, 19 minutes a game, but he's been playing a little bit more recently. He leads the team in blocks with 24, shoots 72% from the field, and with obviously no three-point attempts there. Uh, but he's terrible at the line, which this is other reason that their free throw shooting as a team is so low. He shoots only 48% from the line. Yeah, and when you get a big guy that draws as much contact as he does, that's a problem. Um, he's an interesting player, you know, transferred from Baylor, but actually to sat out to sit out last year. So he's playing this year and there are elements of the game in which he is really productive. I mean, look, he's a big body, very big, who knows how to use his body to create space. And he knows what a good shot is and he converts. He doesn't play outside of himself offensively, but and he's also capable of blocking shots. He gives him some rim protection. But his conditioning, I think, is part of the reason why he's only played, whatever it is, 18, 19 minutes, yeah. a little less than half the game. And he's bad defensively. It's, it's why I question Brad Underwood's grip on his own team because at times <laughs> because I, I've heard him talk as recently as at coming out of their last game about um, the rim protection and how that, you know, that makes him, a, allows him to make an impact defensively, but he's just awful at times in pick and roll. It's, you know, this is a pretty good defensive team overall, but he's a problem. And it, you know, so Paul Conondike on the Spartan mag board kind of compared him to Nick Ward in some ways. And I think that's actually a fair comparison, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's the point. Would Tom, you know, Nick Ward blocked some shots. Would Tom, did Tom Izzo ever talk about him making an impact defensively? No, he <laughs> talked about the fact that he wasn't doing enough in pick and roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it's just another reason why this guy, this Underwood, I, I just don't know. <sighs> but anyway, getting back to danger, um, does certain things really well, but I think there are ways Michigan state may be able to exploit him. So we'll see how that trade-off goes. He's going to be a tough cover in the post. I mean, everybody is going to have their hands full when he's on the floor. Um, but can Michigan State win that trade-off? That we'll see. So then we'll go to the reserves. Uh, we'll start with one of the freshman guards, Jaden Epps, six foot two, averaging nine point eight points a game on 45, 38, and eighty-one shooting. Uh, also turns the ball over a lot. Has. 24 turnovers to just 23 assists. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's doing some things well and some things not so well. Young, young guard, 
right? Yeah, and, right. You know, exactly. I think I think down the line, you know, he's he's a guy they saw as a combo guard, but the combo part has not really flashed just yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the decision making and the playmaking. Um, you know, he's got potential, as does Harris. I don't mean to suggest that, but what they are right now is they're freshmen that make a lot of mistakes and kind of play like you expect most freshmen to play. So they're not producing the way that say produce freshman guards are, or the kid from Wisconsin we saw last night, you know, there are some freshmen that are coming in and finding a way to be productive and to, to minimize the mistakes that has not been the story with Illinois freshman guards yet, even though I think a lot of people felt like, the talent level this group had was really high. The potential was really high. The production has been muted. Do you think that's a reflection of the system? Like why a Wisconsin freshman guard like Connor Seijan can come in and it can be so effective. Is that a product of just the way Wisconsin plays offense and that, you know, Illinois struggles because of the way they do it? Or do you think it's just kind of the guy and that's just how he is? It can be. And it really depends upon what you're asking of guys, right? So at Michigan state, for example, to bring it back around to the team we follow. Um, it is, it is a tough environment at Michigan state to be a freshman point guard because so much gets put on you. That's why I actually really admire the job Trey Holloman is doing because the one thing he doesn't do is make a lot of mistakes. And that is hard for a freshman in Michigan state system to do. Um, and there are some places where they do put a lot on guys. Um, Wisconsin, I think, you know, they recruit in a very specific way. They want guys with certain skill sets and a certain kind of potential, let's say. And so maybe it's easier for a certain kind of player to succeed right away because they're only gonna, they're only gonna add you if they think you've got the skill set that fits what they do. And and they're going to put you in position to succeed doing that. Sure. You know, I, if that's, that might be convoluted, but I think you get my point, right? Yeah. So at Illinois, you're maybe asking guys to do a little bit more or just a wider variety of things that it might be harder. Um, but yeah, I, whatever it is, it, it's not working as well as it is in some other places around the league, you know, Ohio state, is getting pretty good production out of their young guards. Right. And they, and they did last year too, if I recall, I think they, yeah. Um, so, uh, next reserve is RJ Melendez, another returning player. Uh, I guess the only other returning player for Illinois, six, seven sophomore D- played really well at the end down the stretch last year. And so I, to your point earlier, they thought a lot more was going to happen with him this season. And he's just hasn't quite worked out. He's averaging a little under seven points a game on 37, 29 and 91 shooting. Uh, which is, you know, again, the problem, lots of uh, turnovers and not many assists. And so that's another problem for him as well. They actually talked about him as a possibility to start at the point this year, which is just laughable given the way he's played. <laughs> and it's, and look, in, in fair, I get it. I mean, there was, there was a stage at Michigan state where they talked about David Thomas as a point guard and David Thomas became a really good player, but he wasn't really a point guard. He was a six, seven guy who could handle the ball and pass it well, but he wasn't a point guard. There's a difference. And I think that's the deal with Melendez. The biggest thing is, you know, last year in very limited volume, 
he shot 60% from three. He was nine for 15 on the season. So I think people got fooled into think, oh, this guy's a dead eye. Well, he only took 15 shots because he didn't play that much <laughs> early on, and then he got hurt. So you had a small sample size. Well, he's playing more now and 29%. Um, yeah, just I think it's another guy who's been the sense I have is he's kind of been frustrating for Illini fans just because the expectations got a little out of whack, but I keep going back to beating the same drum, but the way these people, it's not even just the coaching staff, it's their fan base too. The way they talk about their team and these players, it's everybody's Superman. <laughs> and, and then, then you start playing games and reality hits. And that's what's happened with Melendez. I mean, they all thought he was going to be an all American before the season or so it seemed. And now the half of them want him run out of town. Well, I think, you know, the Michigan State fan base, and I think every fan base to some extent is this a little bit this way, right? You have the new present at Christmas. It's yes, perfect, unblemished. For sure. And you're like, oh, this is going to be, you know, or I mean, it, there's so many people talking about Michigan State's next season, the 2023 with Carr and Fears and yep. Booker and right and Norman. They're going to be amazing. They're going to do it. Well, I think we forget they're going to be freshmen. They're going to make lots of mistakes. They're not yep. going to be as, you're going to see all their all the warts you're going to see, at the things they can't do. Uh, they're not going to be as conditioned as they think they are when they're coming in. They're going to realize they're not in, in shape as they'd hope to be. I mean, they're going to, all these sorts of problems are going to manifest themselves. And and so you're going to, you have to, for one thing, enjoy the season. That's like a totally different sort of philosophical thing. But also I, I think it's it's easy to get yourself talked into when you haven't seen something and you haven't seen any signs of something that have been consistent enough, you can fool yourself into thinking that there's more coming than maybe you have. You're right. And, and, and that's all, that's all fair, but it's, you know, the one response I would offer is at least if it's a Michigan state fan doing it, you've seen eight final fours in the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah, right? right. So if you're Illinois, come on <laughs> <You know? laughs> and come on, but uh, you know, prove it. Right. Um, and none of this is to suggest that Melendez can't become a better player. He can. He's six seven with some ball skills. I mean, I buy into that, but it's it's just it's a process. And when you're playing consistently for the first time, some warts are going to get exposed, probably. And that's what's happened. Right. It's it's just like the guy who gets called up from the minor leagues, right? The first like maybe yep. two, three, four games, he's batting like exactly. 40. You're like, holy cow, this guy's amazing. And then they've realized, and oh, you just pitched, you know, loan away and he can't hit it. <laughs> Suddenly the can't league hit gets a scouting report and they figure out what you can and can't do. And all of a sudden it starts to get real. Right. Yep. Don't let him go right. And, and don't let him go left, hey, right? Look, coaching and scouting in the big 10, you'll hear this from everybody. It is as good as it is anywhere in the country. And if you have flaws, they will find it. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. It's not even what you are as a player. It's, it starts with what you are as a player. And then once other teams figure you out, what's your counter move? Can right. you adjust and show them something new on top of what you had originally? And that kind of feels like that's where Melendez is right now. Finally, a very intriguing player, Ty Rogers, 6'7 freshman. Yeah. He's someone that Michigan State was trying to recruit quite a bit. He's played a lot more of late. He's only averaging a little under two points a game on 41-0. Boy, he's got my three-point shooting ability in 36. And actually, my three my free throw percentage is better than his. Mine's 40%, <laughs> shooting 36%. Uh, yeah. And so, I, you know, I think 
Well, he's an intriguing player, and I think people were very excited to see him play Michigan State. He ended up at Illinois, and I don't know. I mean, it's not not worked out great for him initially, but it, he's you know get a freshman. He he has been playing more and playing better um, of late. They were really happy with him in the Nebraska game in particular, um, and they were happy with him because of the things that I think everybody knew he could do which is get to the glass and defend. I look, I thought he was a perfect fit at Michigan state. And I think it's a shame that he didn't end up here. Um, I don't know where he would have fit on this team because they didn't, you know, when they're healthy, they didn't really necessarily need another wing, but man, he's just, he is junkyard dog tough. He's a good defensive player already and a versatile one. He rebounds. He plays hard. He plays with toughness. Those are all things that help, you know, and, and listen, if Illinois had three or four more guys like him, then I might buy that they have a culture. But, you know, maybe he's the guy that can start it. But I don't see anybody else on that team that plays the way he does, you know. Yeah. Um, offensively, the struggles that he's having should not be surprising. Even in high school, man, when he was winning a state championship at Grand Blanc as a junior, um, you know, I remember people watching the state championship game. And for some people, it was the first time they'd seen him. And I remember people commenting, and he had a good game, but he, you could see he wasn't much of a shooter. His offensive game was kind of limited. I remember people wondering openly, like, why is this guy ranked so hard? Why is Michigan State so seriously recruiting him? And it's, well, because there's certain things he does that lead to winning. But if you're looking for him to go out and give you, you know, 18 points a game and, you know, shoot 40% from three, you're not going to get that. You'll probably never get that. That's just not who he is. But as a, as a defensive guy, as a rebounder, as an intangibles guy, He's something. And I think Illinois would be well served to continue to increase his role. And as the next couple of years unfold for him to assume something of a leadership position in that program and be used as a standard setter, because I think that's where he's valuable. You know, again, at a place like Michigan state, it's, it was so easy for me to envision how he would slot in. I mean, it just would have been, hand and glove Izzo wouldn't have cared that he can't hit a jumper it wouldn't have mattered he would have had a role and it's a role that Michigan State values and he's had a lot of guys fill over the years Mm -hmm. I always thought of Ty Rogers as not as quite spectacular a spectacular and athletic version of um, BJ Dawson that's who he kind of reminded me of um you know, now I think MSU's made up for it by going out in the next class and getting Cohen Carr, who is an explosive athlete yeah, right. in addition to those other things. But be that as it may, this is one that, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen Michigan State close a deal on. And, you know, I could spend time boring people on the reasons why they didn't, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, but Illinois would be well served to have this guy influence their program more not less. Right. And, and you're not going to do that as a freshman. The freshman are not going to come right. in and it's set the really culture. Hard. So that's, and that's absolutely yeah. Ma- magic. Johnson gets to do that as a freshman <laughs> and, and not many other guys. Right. I mean, really? Right. Yeah. They, yeah. Name the guys as freshmen 
who took over an entire program's culture. There are not many, even guys who have great freshman years. They don't typically do that. All right. Well, we'll step away for just a moment and then we'll come back with the five keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so the five keys of the game, we'll start with number one, which is energy. We already mentioned Illinois won two straight. This is maybe a way to uh, re- reset their season. They've already lost uh, Sky Clark. And so can they, you know, can they uh, keep that going, that momentum going, create something, and can Michigan State prevent that from happening and also keep rolling? I don't think Michigan State's at that fat and sassy, which is always talks about once they've won a bunch and people are talking about how great they are. I don't feel like they're there yet. Uh, at least in the media. So maybe that's not something to worry about at this point, but certainly, you know, you're going to have to deal with a very hostile crowd because I'm almost certain if I remember my friend whose son is going back to school. So I think the students will be back for this game. Yeah. Uh, Look, this is historically a house of horrors for Michigan state and for most other programs. And when I say historically, I'm taking a very long view of this. I'm going back to the seventies. You know, I mean, they beat Magic Johnson and company down there in um, in the national championship season in 1979. Uh, they had bad teams that almost took out the Cleves crew down mm-hmm. there. You know, so it's a tough building to win in. Michigan State has done it um, recently. They did it in 2018. People may remember that game where. I think it was Underwood's first season when they were playing that ridiculous full court <laughs> pressure and every, every possession was either a turnover or a dunk. I mean, that's almost, almost literally true. Um, and MSU won by double digits, but it was a very unenjoyable game from an aesthetic point of view. It was an atrocity uh, because of the way Illinois played. Um, thank God he got past that. I'll give Brad that he gave up the junk press um, but, uh, and then Illinois, the or Michigan state, the next time, uh, they went down there, they lost, but then, uh, the year following that, that was in 2020, dunk. they won in a pretty memorable game where Cassius was driving, missed a layup attempt, but it went right off the backboard perfectly to Xavier Tillman for a follow-up dunk to win it 70 to 69. And that was a big win because it was actually Brad Underwood's program's coming out year. Like that year, the tournament got erased by COVID, but 
they had finally, for the first time, keep in mind, they'd been in the wilderness for several years. The John Gross era right. had been largely a non-starter. The end of the Bruce Weber era, era had been bad before that. And then the first couple of years of the Underwood era, of course, he was rebuilding the program, didn't have much going on. They would have made the tournament that year. It was definitely their return to being good. And Michigan State pulling that off in such a dramatic fashion was a big deal. So there has been then last year, uh, I don't think they played them in Champaign in 21. Uh, they played them and beat them in East Lansing, but I don't think they played them down there, if I remember correctly. But uh, last year was a game where Coburn was out, if I remember correctly, and Michigan State played well at times and had a real chance to win, but couldn't quite pull it off. Right. So, so there've been very competitive games there in recent years, but Michigan state has found ways to win. It's not like they're working on an O for 10 streak, but what you know is that's a place that cares about the sport, their fans, whatever, however much I may slag them for unrealistic (laughs) expectations and you know, all of that stuff. I never deny that they care about basketball. I, I always think of Illinois, honestly, as a basketball first school, which isn't true of many big 10 programs. No, I agree. Like Indiana and Purdue. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. They're the only other one that I think might get into that realm. Cause even Michigan state doesn't, I mean, let's be honest. No. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but they care. And, you know, I, I, I remember for years, um, Jim Comperoni, he gave up on it. Cause I, I think he felt after, uh, after September 11th and some of that stuff that it felt distasteful, but I always, I used to think it was a pretty accurate description. He would describe their crowds as as it was like, it was a jihad and it (laughs) really was. I mean, that orange crush, I don't know what they could, they still call it that, but man, I just have memory. When I think of, of what used to be assembly hall, I think they call it state farm arena. Now, Um, when I think of assembly hall, I think of a, a place that the crowd is almost completely blacked out. You can only see the first few rows lit up around the court mm-hmm. and just loud and terrifying because you know that there are people in that darkness. You just can't see them. <laughs> and, uh, and years and years and years, that was the way it was. It was very difficult to win there in part because they had very good teams generally, but also because it was a tough building. I expect with the students back, as you alluded to, it's going to be a very live building. Um, it's a Friday night game, so it probably feels a little unusual that might play out well for them with students. I don't know. Uh, and, and they got something to play for that team. And I'm sure their fan base feels like, okay, this is a game. If we get this one, we're back, we're back to 500. We've beaten a good team, a legitimately good team, and we're back rolling. We found ourselves. So I would expect that Illinois comes out flying. That's, that's what I would expect. What you have to hope for if you're Michigan state are one of two things or hopefully both. One is that we see some version of what we saw in the Michigan game on MSU's part the other day, where they're so jacked up that it, it puts them off kilter. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing you want is Michigan state matches their energy. And that will be a challenge, but I think it's one that this Michigan state team should be up to. There haven't been many occasions where I felt like this team didn't bring it. You know, the Notre Dame game was one, but there was a, there was a reason for that. 
You know, there was a scheduling reason for that. Other than that, I feel like they've given what they've had to give. Sometimes they've been behind the eight ball in terms of travel, roster availability, and those things. But I have not felt this year that bringing requisite energy and toughness has been a problem. But they're going to be tested, and they have to do it if they want to get out of Champagne with a win. Right. And both teams, which is nice, both teams had the same schedule, so they both played the same night. So there's no advantage as far as, you know, absolutely outside of travel, which is the only well, but Illinois was on the road. Right. Illinois was in Lincoln last night. So it's the same. You're right. It's the same for both. The only advantage is Illinois gets to sleep in their own beds. So from a travel perspective, it's kind of neutered from a home court advantage. It's something else. So number two key to the game is defensive rebounding. I already mentioned before, Illinois is a very good offensive rebounding team. And just looking at the, how they score, they're scoring inside. So they're going to be all around the basket. So it's you know natural to think that, and especially with their size. Michigan State has actually been a pretty good defensive rebounding team. So can they prevent Illinois from doing much on the offensive glass? And then, you know, I don't expect Michigan State to do much on the offensive side, but, you know. We have to update. Our, our assessment of Michigan State's defensive rebounding because they are now the 11th rated defensive rebounding team in the country. So they're better than pretty good. Now, <laughs> one can argue that that has been skewed a bit by their last two games. They were playing two teams in Michigan and Wisconsin that are really poor offensive rebounding teams. And, you know, Wisconsin's case, and really Michigan's too, for the most part, they kind of just abdicate that altogether. They're not even sure. really trying to test you. Uh, but I would say, I would add, Nebraska has been a decent offensive rebounding team, and Michigan State largely shut them down as well. Yeah. So I think it's mostly real, but it's going to be challenged here because Illinois is a level better in that phase of the game than anything MSU has seen for a while. Probably, if I, if I think Alabama. about it, probably since Alabama, yep. And similar to Alabama, I don't think they're, I don't think they're athletically where Alabama is, but they do have a lot of length. And as we talked about, they play it, they start it, you know, and then even some of the guys that aren't supersized for their position, like Ty Rogers, Ty Rogers might be only six, six, he can go get a rebound. So, um, it's going to be a challenge, but it's one you hope that Michigan state is up to. Uh, and if they are truly anywhere in the vicinity of where they're currently ranked as a defensive rebounding team, then you have to like their chances. But this is this is absolutely a strength versus strength kind of matchup. Right. And a team that doesn't shoot great. I mean, if you can limit their ability, their offensive absolutely. ability to get extra shots up, I mean, that makes a huge difference, obviously. I mean, it's always important, but probably more so with a team like Illinois. Absolutely. Absolutely. If they, if Michigan state is doing a good enough job defensively to force misses for turn Illinois into a jump shooting team and they're missing, you got to terminate those possessions at one shot. Number three key to the game turnovers. And we've been saying it all season now, well, all season, most, at least the last 10 games, Michigan state does not turn the ball over a ton. They're a pretty good turnover team. Illinois is not their bad team. And so not, I think, you know, the other thing about this is not only can they create some turnovers and maybe uh, get some extra possessions and limit what Illinois can do on offense, but, you know, maybe can you get a little bit of running going too with this, the opportunity with the turnovers? 
that would be that would be a welcome a welcome development. Um, here's what I would say about the turnover category on the Michigan State side of it. MSU's had some problems. You know, the last two games haven't been crazy bad, but they've been worse than we've gotten accustomed to this year. Right. Against Michigan, they had 12. I think they had 14 last night, 13 Correct. or 14 against 14, Wisconsin. Yeah. But but here's the thing. Neither of those teams are play a style where they're they're really forcing many mistakes. Now, I do think Wisconsin did a pretty good job at that and they are better than they typically are in that way, but they're not, they're not what Illinois is. Illinois will throw some half-assed pressure at you at times. They'll get aggressive. They've got good length. So they'll try to, you know, get in the passing lanes. Um, they will look to do more of that. So Michigan state has to tighten it back up at the other end. We know Michigan State doesn't really play a ball hockey style per se, but you don't have to against Illinois. Illinois is shooting <laughs> themselves in the foot, left, right, and center. So you have to hope that they're doing that again. And one way that Michigan State can help make that happen isn't by changing who they are and getting out and ball hawking because they're not going to do that, but by playing solid, sound, half-court defense extend possessions and figure that eventually Illinois will, somebody will make a mental mistake. So that's the key. I think is not giving Illinois good, quick shots, making them extend possessions, have to work the ball and then figuring that somewhere along the way through 20, 25 seconds, at least a possession, somebody's going to blow a tire mentally or otherwise. And I like the fact that Michigan State, you know, has really good help defense in the gaps and stuff. And so when you're not as when you're not as worried about three point shooters, you can help a little bit more. And I think for sure, MSU creates a lot of turnovers that way. This is a game, and we should probably talk about this element of it, as opposed to last night, where I really felt as the game developed, you saw, hey, you just can't send a lot of help in the post against Kroll because. Wisconsin moves the ball too well out of that, and they've got too many guys who can hit shots, as opposed to the Michigan game, where you were a little less worried about their three-point shooters for good reason, because they don't shoot it well. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you felt like as long as you mixed it up against Dickinson, you could get them off balance, and that's what worked. I think this is a game much more along the lines of the Michigan game, uh, is it possible that guys like um, Shannon and Meyer and company could get hot and force you out of that? Yeah, but I would I would probably be willing to make them prove it. So I think this is a game that, you know, if Danger and Coleman are getting the ball on the blocks, you know, vary the approach, but maybe you dig down one out every two times. Or if it makes sense, you send Joey Hauser on a on a on a double down. Um I think it makes more sense to see that here. And if you're forcing guys like danger and Coleman to have to make decisions that could also produce turnovers, which is what I think you were getting at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even just trying to put the ball on the floor in, you know, in the paint, it's dangerous. If especially you have a bunch of people with hands in there, uh, right. Reaching in number four key to the game size. This is one of the few teams. Well, it's funny. Cause I say, you know, mission state is not a mission state is a big team and the, 
backcourt, I think they're pretty big, but they're, you know, on the front court, six, nine, you know, for Sissoko is not really big. So this is a t- team that is bigger than Michigan state in every way. They're uh, they've got six, 11 guy. They've got a bunch of six, seven guards. So they've got a lot of size. They're the biggest team. I, I think this is accurate. I mean, I guess give or take Purdue, um, but they are certainly one of the biggest teams Michigan State will see across the board. Like they don't have a Coburn anymore. They don't have that just absolute behemoth, but danger's pretty big. And then you just look at the size around them and these guys are a big team. It's with that kind of size, it's not an accident that they're as good as they are shooting twos and as good as they are on the offensive boards and that they block as many shots as they do. They kind of, you kind of feel like they should do all those things well because of their size. So, you know, I, I think Michigan state can compete. I'm not worried about that, but you know, they, Illinois does not present the challenge that a Dickinson or especially a Zach Eady present where they're so huge that they can just suck up all the oxygen in the room. Yeah. and become the center of gravity in the, in the entire game. It's not that scenario, but it's just every single position, they're bigger. And so if you're Michigan State, you have to find ways to counter that. Now, the good news is, I think especially in the backcourt, Michigan State actually has guys who play bigger than their listed size. I think eight defensively, which is where it really matters um, for, for this discussion. A.J. Hogard can play guys who are bigger than he is. You know, if you've got AJ Hogard guarding Terrence Shannon, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, um, Jaden Nakins can guard guys who are bigger than he is. Even Trey Holloman could do some of that. And then, and then you've always got, as I talked about, you've always got Malik call that you can, that you can and will use as a really big wing. You know, normally in this league, I feel like Malik Hall gives Michigan State a real advantage physically at the position he plays most of the time. Um, Not the case in this game, but he's a counter to that issue. You know, like if they're having a real problem for whatever reason dealing with Meyer or with Shannon, Malik Hall is a guy physically who can guard those guys. 100%, you know. He's yep. big enough, strong enough, enough of a veteran that I feel okay. What must it be like for Kofi Coburn playing professional basketball in Japan? I mean, just to live and to play in Japan. It must be interesting. In interesting. Japan? I, I didn't, I actually didn't. That's news to me. I, did, I didn't follow that that's where he's at. Yeah. I was just curious. I was like, I wonder where he's playing. He's playing in Japan. I will tell you this as someone who's been to Tokyo a couple of times, um, I am not as big as Kofi Coburn. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not in the ballpark of Kofi Coburn. And I felt, I felt like a a giant in the land of the Lilliputians (laughs) in Tokyo. Most of the time. I mean, I really did. You walk around Tokyo and you know, if you're in the six foot or taller range, you're going to feel big. So (laughs) Kofi Coburn already has to feel like a freak most of the time, even in the United States in Japan, I can't even begin to imagine what it feels like. Like he comes from another universe (laughs) or he's, Uh, he's another, he's another, um, another animal, another species entirely. Probably. So, so the fifth and final key to the game guard play turnovers, you're part of it. Perimeter shooting. This is a spot where we think Michigan state has an edge in almost every game they play in the big 10. And I guess you have to, you have to count Shannon as a guard. So that 
that brings it back into a little more balance. But particularly when it comes to their two freshmen and Melendez, uh, look, those guys, they, they, I just don't see them being able to hang. And even with Shannon, you know, he's a veteran. He's obviously a very productive player, but he's had games where he hasn't been sharp. I let's put it this way. You can worry about what might happen if Tyson Walker gets switched onto Terrence Shannon, but you know what else you should worry about when Terrence Shannon gets switched onto Tyson Walker. Right. Yeah. Um, not that Terrence Shannon's not athletic. He is, but he didn't garden Tyson Walker particularly well, I would assume. Um, you know, cause I don't think anybody at that size guys, six, one have trouble with him. So this is, this is a situation. We're going to say this a lot this year where I do think Michigan state's experience and its talent level at the guard spots should give it an advantage. How much of an advantage is it? How decisive is it in the outcome of this game? That remains to be seen. But if you're looking for reasons to, to think that Michigan State wins this game, that's a pretty good place to start. Okay, well, I think that'll wrap it up. Mich- Illinois is a five-point favorite per Ken Palm, which has been uh, relatively accurate, I think, for most of their predictions. You know? they, missed, they missed the Wisconsin game, but that was also the problem with Ken Palm is, um, you know, it doesn't do much to take account, at least predictively, of the impact of injuries. So, yeah. you know, Vegas turned Michigan State into a favorite. Right. It was like three once, points or something, right? Like once the Tyler yeah. one was the last I saw, but any whatever it was. Yeah, right. Um, so that line pretty accurately reflected what happened in the game. Um, Ken Palm, of course, did not because it wasn't taken into account all of that information. So, um, but I think, look, I think five points is fair in that building. It doesn't strike me as wildly off the mark. Um, but I, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier, I was on Jack Ebling's show and he asked me if I ever pay attention to the ESPN prediction meter. And I said, I'm familiar with what it is, but like most ESPN products, I don't really pay a lot of attention to it. <laughs> um, and uh, it said that Illinois has, I think it was like a 79% chance of winning. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I felt. I mean, that that's for strong. the ESPN prediction. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. That, for, yeah yes. That's for that. That's what yes. I expect for that. Yeah. I, it was, a, it struck me as a little strong. Now, maybe that actually equates to a five point spread. You know, it, it might. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But uh, it just felt intuitively, it just felt a little strong to me because I, I wouldn't say it's 50, 50. I definitely give Illinois the edge because home court is worth something and they've been playing a little better over the last week. So those things are entirely, and they could just get on a hot streak. They've got guys who should do that. So all those things can happen, but you know, Michigan state is playing a pretty good brand of basketball at both ends, all things considered, you know, as Malik Hall has come back and is getting reacclimated they are a better team, uh, you know, to go back to the Ebling appearance today. Another question he asked was who's been Michigan state's best player and who's their most important player. And it was a hard, a hard one to answer because, you know, they've got so many guys playing well and 
kind of in a similar range in terms of production. But, Mm -hmm. you know, my best player answer was AJ Hogard because he impacts every area of the game. Yeah. You know, every area. Um, And nobody else really does that the same way. But my most important player was Malik call. And I think it's evident in the improved play at both ends, but especially in my mind, defensively, since he's come back, we are, we are back to seeing Michigan state as a a higher team with the potential to be a high level defensive group. Whereas when he was out, they struggled a little bit more. Yeah. And the, and the problem of course with the Kim Palms right now is that a lot of Michigan state season was played without Aikens at Hall, or at least in limited capacity. And so, you know, if you're 42nd, are you really 42nd or are you much, you're, you're, you're a different team. And, and of, of course teams evolve and they change throughout the season as well. But this team changed a lot more with those guys back. We should, we should mention, I'm glad you brought it up because we should spend just a second at least talking about it. Cause it was a, it was a big topic of conversation on the Spartan mag board. And I've actually seen this reflected in social media discussions nationally. This is not just a Michigan state thing. But if you looked at Ken Palm today, what you saw was Michigan State at 42 and Indiana at 26. Not even after tonight. <laughs> Indiana and Illinois were 25 and 26. Yeah. I can't remember which order, but one of the two. So either 16 or 17 spots higher than Michigan State. I don't care what metric you're running it through. And I know about the mocking of the eye test and all of that. But if you have watched these teams play, particularly over the last couple of weeks, there is no way on God's green earth you could come to the conclusion that Indiana was playing even as well as Michigan State, never mind better. Um, and But it's it doesn't just stop with Michigan State. St. Mary's is 14 and four. They are ninth in Ken Palm right now. <laughs> now, 14 and four is okay, but that's not... Not a three that's seed, not great. Right? That's like the number one that's three seed. That's not great. And that's not worth, uh, for a WCC team that isn't Gonzaga, that's that's not worth number nine in the country. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I, I, I And it's been a discussion ongoing nationally. It's starting to, is what is the disconnect this year? Because normally by now, you know, Ken Palm always starts with this black box because you have to start. Well, you don't have to, but he chooses to yeah. start the year. Some baseline. Not, yeah. He, some input. And we've talked about it here, I think, before. I suspect it has to be some combination of returning production, some kind of weighted average as to how much our typical returning player improves, and then some kind of guess as to what your incoming players do. But that's all highly speculative. And normally it takes you know, seven, eight weeks to work its way out completely. But by, you know, early edging into mid-January, it's normally worked out. It's, in my opinion, it's not this year. I'll give you another example. Miami of Florida has, in my mind, been at worst, the second best team in the ACC. And they beat Virginia at home, but they beat them, who is probably, in most people's opinions, the best team. Sure. They have five wins over top 35 Ken Palm teams. They've only lost two games. They lost a road game last night at Georgia Tech, and they lost a neutral court game against Maryland, neither of which is a bad loss. Right, right. 
they are the sixth ranked team in the ACC in Ken Palm. They are one notch behind Michigan State nationally. Make sense of that. I, and I'll tell you part of what it is. Part of what it is is looking at their schedule. They have played three teams that were sub 330 mm-hmm. in Ken Palm. They blew them all out. But you you take a hit when you play those kind of teams. And I get it. That goes into strength of schedule and that matters, but it shouldn't matter that much when you've done what they've actually done on the court. So I'm not suggesting a fix is in. I'm not suggesting that there's anything intrinsically different about Ken Palm this year from other years, but something this year is not translating the way that it typically does, in my opinion. And again, I just gave you an example, and I could a couple examples. I gave you the St. Mary's example. I gave you the, the Miami of Florida example, and there are others. It is a weird year. Lar- generally speaking, I think the top six or seven look pretty good. After that, it's show. Do you think some of it, because you know, Ken Palm also weights the margin of victory as an important aspect. Absolutely. Of, right? And that does Absolutely. that too on some of them, I believe. So if you're winning by three every game and you're playing, you know, some sisters of the poor, well, you're going to get penalized. Uh, or even if you're playing a decent team and just barely beating them at home, you know, you get, you get penalized as well. And look, there, there's a reason for it. Um, analytics people will tell you that there is a correlation between margins of victory and a team's overall quality, right? So it's not just randomly that he's choosing to include that or any of these systems choose to include it. However, um, the problem with it, in my opinion, is it's a blunt tool. Yeah. Um, Different teams play games by games, let's call them, or just games that get out of hand differently. Michigan state as compared to many other programs will play freshmen, play a larger rotation, not just in a game period, but say in the first half of a game, right? They won't wait till garbage time. Um, and I think, I think to penalize that team or playing it that way in the same fashion as you do everybody else probably doesn't lead to the most accurate reflection of what that team actually is. Now you could say that I'm picking at nits and maybe I am, but uh, clearly margin of victory is a problem. I think another problem truthfully is two other things. One, um, the loss to Northwestern on the home court, despite the fact that I think everybody who actually watches the games would say Northwestern is playing pretty damn well this year Mm -hmm. um, thus far they're not rated highly either. And so that loss is hurting you. And then the the loss, not just the loss, but by the margin at Notre Dame is hurting Michigan state. Right. Um, But, but again, some of that gets into what you talked about, which is it doesn't take into account what you are with or without certain players. And Michigan state went through a period where they were without two of their top six guys. And that's when, you know, really all three, cause it would be those two games. And then the fact that the Portland game was close. Those are the three that I think people would point at and say, well, that's where you're getting hurt in the metrics, but all three of those happened without, 
without Hall and Aikens, right? Yeah. So uh, should they be penalized that severely? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, look, uh, the other thing is there's still plenty of time for this to all come out in the wash. And I certainly think Michigan State has every opportunity to improve its metrics by virtue of what they do in the league. And if they if they don't, then it's on them because they they will have those opportunities. But it's definitely got a lot of people nationally up in arms right now because the rankings are it's true for net too, um, not just Ken Palm. They're not seemingly met correlating as well as they normally do by this time of the year to the eye test. Yeah. Once you get beyond the top six or seven. Well, Michigan State certainly in the metrics has an opportunity to make some gains by playing the number 26 For sure. team on the road, right? And if you pull out a win there, it doesn't matter how much you win by, uh, that's going to be significantly helpful for you as far as seeding and whatever getting into the tournament. Yeah, opportunities. You know, and that's the thing. There's the road win over Wisconsin. Wisconsin's not rated that highly either. So they didn't get as much help as you would think they should have from that win last night. They actually dropped. They <laughs> fell a spot after beating Wisconsin at Cole. Right. Well, because you're also influenced by the by your previous opponents and what they're doing, right? If they all fall, then even if you may win, you may overall fall because the people you'd beaten, their vectors aren't as good. That's another factor. Look, you could not have possibly known in November that wins over Kentucky and Villanova wouldn't mean a whole hell of a lot. Right. You know? Sure. We as fans look at it and say, these are big time programs. We know what that generally means. And, and yet they're not getting the benefit from that because both of them, particularly Kentucky have just been God awful. Yeah. Um, what can you do? You know? Yeah, well, all I know is a season ticket holder. I'm much more excited to see Villanova coming to, to their Breslin than St. Mary's. <laughs> oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, well, we'll leave it there, and we'll be back after the game for the postgame analysis, hopefully after another Michigan State victory. So until next time, the Final Four is not in the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.